How many of you have ridden a merry-go-round before to the point you're ready to throw up? Is that true? Like any of you lightweights? That can be me. I, I tell you one of my favorite rides as a kid. I don't even think they put these on playgrounds anymore. It was the old metal merry-go-round. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Where everybody got on it, and then somebody had to stay off of it and start running beside it, get it as going as quickly as you could, right? And you just kept spinning and spinning and spinning. How many of you ever rode that? You know the one I'm talking about? All right, most of it, like the people like under 12 haven't ridden that. It's like you're deprived. They don't even have slicky slides anymore because they're a danger to society. But we would spin it and spin it and spin it until what? Somebody fell off or somebody puked. There you go. You went to school where I did. Like, and, man, it was just awesome when somebody yacked because it would, like, the puke would go and, like, follow them. Like, it would spew. It's one of the laws of inertia. We learn physics through puke spray, all right? So just so much fun. Now, unfortunately, though, like, I, as I come into the new year, I just feel like sometimes I'm on merry-go-round. Uh, maybe in some relationships or situations, even here at work, at church, um, family stuff especially, you just feel like it's same verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. You, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like you're going through the same things. You visit the same arguments again and again. It just it keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. And sooner or later, when you spin and deal with the same merry-go-round problems over and over again, what do you want to do? Either get off or you're going to, I'm going to puke. This makes me want to throw up. And so how do you deal with merry-go-rounds that never stop? Maybe you're in a merry-go-round marriage. Maybe you got kids on the merry-go-round, and they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. You don't learn anything new. The scenery never changes. Okay? This is what happens with the Hebrew people here. And uh, starting as soon as they left Egypt, around 1445 B.C., and the wilderness is in Meribah. This means quarreling. That's in, in Hebrew. It means quarrel or to fight. Okay? Uh, we did this story a couple months ago. Adam Goodwin did it here. It said, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. And they camped at Rephidim, but there there was no water for the people to drink. Okay? And therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? In other words, like, why are you mad at me because there's not water in a desert? This isn't my fault. I haven't done something wrong there, all right? And then, of course, the people said, oh, we understand you're going through a lot right now. You're a great leader. Is that how they would respond? No. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Is that why you've done this? Now, if it would have been me, if you all would come to me and ask me a question like that, I'll just tell you what my answer would be. You know what it would be? Yes, that is why I brought you out here, so you all would die a miserable death. Like, I would remind you, I never asked for this job. I didn't want it. God had to talk me into it. That's what Moses had to do. But in, this is why he was just a better leader than I am. What does he do? He cries to the Lord. He doesn't tell them off. He cries to Jesus. He says, what shall I do with these people? 
They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there at the rock of Horeb, and you shall, watch this, he's going to take that stick and strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now, what do you think is going to happen in the next verse? Do you think people are going to rise up and give Moses a bonus because he's such a good leader? Do you think they're going to say, oh, praise the Lord and praise Moses for their bountiful blessings to us? Do you think that's how it's going to work? Coach is up there. He's a coach. How many times do your players come up after you called the perfect play and say, you are the greatest coach ever. Thank you for drawing up that play where I made that three-pointer. It never happens, does it, coach? But by golly, you draw up a play that doesn't work, and you're like, ah, we got beat by coaching tonight. We got outcoached. That's how it works. So that's why he names this place quarreling or fighting because of the quarreling of the people of Israel because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? They're questioning whether or not God is with them, going to provide for them. Now, 38 years later, they're going to circle around Round two, back to this spot. Now, why are they still out in the desert 38 years later? Because they didn't have the faith to go into the promised land back when they, God first sent them in. They didn't go in because it was their own fault. They didn't have the faith to push out the Canaanites. So here they come to the same spot. Most of the people have died off, but there's still a few leaders who have been at this place before. And these are the waters of Mar- Meribah here in Numbers 20, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Now, here's how he's going to do it. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. That would be the springtime. And the people stayed in Kadesh. But now something changes. Now, watch. This is important. Miriam died there and was buried. Now, who is Miriam? That's Moses' older sister. She's the one when he was a baby. Listen, if it weren't for Miriam, Moses would be dead. When she was six or seven years old, she put him out in the bulrushes. She guarded him, made sure the crocodiles didn't get him, watched over him, made sure that he floated right in front of the princess of Egypt. She's the one that led him to get adopted, and then as soon as the princess of Egypt got him, Miriam came over, hey, can I take him to a nursemaid, and I'll have a Hebrew mother nurse him for you? And so he got to, Moses got to see his mother for the first three years of his life. Miriam was always hanging around, mothering him. How many of you have had the blessing? I, I haven't had this. How many of you have had a blessing of a good older sister that took care of you when you were young? Raise, raise your hand. You had a good older sister that kind of took care of you, just really poured into you. A few, a few of you. Okay? That's a blessing when you have a good one. Now, some of you are like, I had a bad older sister, but I'm just saying a good one. All right? Like, for Miriam... Moses had a little bit of problems. There was that one time that she wanted to be co-pastor with him, and nah, we can't do it that way. Moses, God said no. And then uh, that, that, that was pretty much the only problems they ever had. And so he just lost his sister. Now watch. This is tough when you lose a sibling, somebody you've been with, done ministry with. Now while that's going on, while he's burying and while they're mourning, Moses and Aaron are mourning their sister. There was no water for the congregation. And so the people assembled themselves together 
and prayed for Moses and Aaron in their time of grief. Is that what your Bible says? No. Listen, when you, people just expect you to produce for them, they're not considering what's going on in your personal life. When you're at the workplace, man, that's a bad work environment. When people are like, uh, when are you going to get back in here? I remember the day after we had Titus, I had a, I had a pastor boss. Uh, no, the day after I had John, I had a pastor boss who says, uh, how many days are you going to take off to be with your wife? I've been gone one day. We got some people in the hospital that need visits. One day. So the people uh, quarreled with Moses, and they said, would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Well, all those guys died right away who didn't go in 38 years ago. They're saying, we wish we'd have been dead instead of living out here 38 years. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Why'd you bring us here? And again, if I would have been Moses, I would have said, the only reason you're here, you stupid people, is because you didn't go into the promised land when you were supposed to. But you didn't listen to me, so this is what you get. Now, how many of you would have responded like me? All right? The rest of you are liars. You need to pray right now. You would have. I know you. Okay? But look at what, how Moses and Aaron respond. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they do it again. They fall on their faces. They just pray, man. So stressed over his sister, just lost her, and yet these guys pray. And the glory of the Lord appears to him, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. This time you're going to tell the rock. You're going to speak to the rock before their eyes, to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation, not only that, but also their cattle. Okay, that's cool. So Moses took the staff from before him, from before the Lord, as he commanded him. So, so far he's doing things right. But let me tell you what, something's about ready to happen next where Moses is going to act out of character. So here's the point before I go into the rest of it. I want to make this point to you. We, as followers of Christ, we cannot allow external forces to cause us to act out of character just because other people are acting in character. I'll say that again. Don't let external forces cause you to act out of character just because other people are acting in character. Okay? Other people, are sheep are going to be sheep. Three-year-old whiny kids, snotty-nosed kids, they're going to be three-year-old whiny, snotty-nosed kids. That person at work that just rubs everybody wrong, they're going to do what they do. To quote the great theologian Taylor Swift, haters going to hate, 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 hate. Okay? That's somewhere in the Bible. So this is what I share with you. What do you got to do? What do you got to do? Shake it off. Shake it off. Okay? You just, you, you can't, well, listen, you can't let external forces 
cause you to act out of character just because other people are acting in character. That's who they are. And you just got to recognize that sometimes. Certain people are just certain ways, and you're just going to let them be who they be, and you're going to be who you are, a follower of Christ. Now, Moses, to this point, had always done it. But I think here on this day, this one day, and I think a lot has to do, he just lost his sister. And I think he was doing all right when he left the presence of the Lord. He comes out there with his staff, and everybody comes up, and they're just griping. What are you going to do, son? What are you going to Like, he had already, I'm going to fix this for you. It's like you show up, and you're going to fix whatever the problem is. You already know you're going to fix it, and here they're harping on you already. So Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Now, that's out of character for Moses. He's calling them names. And this is going to cost him. And let me tell you what. When the outside pressures are on, this is where we can do stuff that normally we wouldn't do. I'm, I'm just telling you, as a, what, I, I just want you to think, what are some of the outside pressures that will cause you to do stuff normally you wouldn't do? Just external forces that cause you to act out of character. I can think of one. Man, I just, if I haven't had enough sleep, and then I come home, I've worked, a, I hadn't had a good day, I'm just tired, I walk through the door, and John has got a mess in the middle of the floor, and Dee asked me to clean up John's mess, when I don't know what Dee's doing, because she's a stay-at-home wife, why isn't it her job to clean up after John all the time? That, ah, you don't say that, right? And I'm just like, why do I have to clean it up? And then Dee says something to me that catches me just wrong. I raise my voice at Dee, and I can just remember the first time I, like, raised my voice at my wife with John about two years old. And the look on her face, John's face, was like, if I was about to kill her, she couldn't have looked any more scared because I shouted at her mom. That was out of character for me. It's been one of those days. What are things like that for you? Things that will cause you to act out of character, call people names. What are things like that for you? Sins that can keep us out from God's blessing. What are you? Now, this is where you talk back. None of you ever act out of character. All right? What a bunch of saints you are. The last congregation were a bunch of sinners, and they were ready to admit it. Okay? So tell me honestly. When do you act out of character? Not your person next to you, all right? When do you? Okay? Yeah, like someone says something to your kids or bumping or whatever, all right? Especially like name-calling. Like you can say something negative to one of your kids, like, oh, quit being stupid, all right? You can say that to one of your kids, and they're like, eh. But somebody else says to one of your kids, quit being stupid, <laughs> Right? You don't call my kids names, right? And it's bad to call people names because that dehumanizes them. They're created in the image of God. That's why we don't need to do name calling what Moses did here. What's something else? What's that? Just stress. What kind of stress? Are you stressed from school? Like I got 10 papers due this week. And we all know that professors get together and they say, we're going to make all these papers and tests due on the same three days, Right? 
They all have coffee. <laughs> How can we line our syllabi up to kill these college students? Okay? And you get stressed and you react in different ways. What else? Hunger. There's another word for hunger. Hangry. Yeah. Any of you ever get hangry? Oh, man. It, it, my poor daughter, Jonna, she gets the hanger moments. Yeah, she sweetest girl in the world unless she's hungry. And then look out. Okay, bar the door. You know, and then you'll act out in certain ways normally you wouldn't other act. All right, how else? Just lack of sleep. You're just tired. Any others? What's that? Pressure of sin. What's this? All your kids fighting. All right, because again, kids are going to fight. That's who they are. So you've got all this disruption, disunity going on, and it causes you to act out. Listen, this is what I want to say. Don't let outside forces lead you in the name column. You've got to know what your red flags are so that you can lower the mast. You've got to know when you're vulnerable. You, you've got to recognize when you're just... Like, Dee and I, within our marriage, we've helped each other out a lot. Like, she can just say, your body language is communicating to me that you're just a little on edge. And once in a while, my, my initial reaction when she says that is to say what? No, I'm not. She's always right, all right? There's always something there, okay? She, she just recognizes it. So when you have someone that will help you, just say, hey, you're just acting a little bit short. Maybe something going on in the outside world, and then you can talk about it. But, man, bring that red flag down, okay? Watch that. It can very easily lead to name-calling. And there's something else they did here, another sin, sin number two. He says, you rebels, shall we, that's Moses and Aaron, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Did Moses and Aaron have the power to bring water out of a rock? The answer to that's what? No. Here's what they did. They're wanting to take credit for God's actions. And that's what you want. When you don't feel appreciated, when you don't feel like you've gotten enough thank yous or pats on the back, all of a sudden you start doing things, not for God's glory, but so that other people will give you the recognition you deserve. You give gifts to people at Christmas time, and you check the mailbox every day to see if they've written you a what? Thank you note. And listen, whenever you give a gift and you're expecting a thank you note, you didn't give them a gift, you bought their affections. It's never a gift if you expect something in return. It's buying. I hope they do thank you for it. But that's what you got to watch is now you want credit. You want the pat on the back. So Moses next, what's what he does? He lifts up his hand and he... Speaks to the rock, what does he do? Strikes it. Now remember, 38 years ago, God told him to strike it, but then in this case, what did he tell him to do? Speak to it. And he didn't just strike it once, he struck it twice. And yes, water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock, and everybody's satisfied, and they're not griping anymore. But one person's not happy. And who's not going to be happy with this? God. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me. Now, right away, they were like, wait a minute, God, we believe in you. No, 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 no. You wanted to take matters in your own hands. Because you didn't believe in me to do things the way I told you to do it, to uphold me as a holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, 
Therefore, you might have had 38 good years, but you've had one bad day, and because of that one day, you shall not bring this assembly into the promised land I have given them. Now, you sit there and you look, and you're like, man, that's kind of harsh, is it not? To keep them out over just one thing? Well, it's not one thing. It's two things. One, it's five things. One, he called them names. Two, he, he came out before the people, and, and he, he, uh, he, he got angry with them. And then three, he didn't do this. He didn't do things exactly the way God told him to do it. He didn't do things exactly the way God did, told him to do it. He wanted the credit for what he had done. Now, this is something i got to share with you. Put my got to talk to you as pastor now. I'm putting on a pastor hat, okay? Sometimes, especially newer people here will come to me for advice because they, they're going through a trial in their life. Might be work, might be marriage, might be family situation, might be something here in the church. And they want to handle something a certain way, and then I'll show them what the Bible says pretty clearly. And then they'll say, well, I need to go pray about that. Or they were hoping that they could do it another way. And a lot of times they come in, watch this, already have their mind set on what they're going to do. They're just hoping I'm going to tell them I'm going to ignore it or the church will ignore it. And usually I will give them biblical advice, chapter and verse. Here's what God would have you do. But deep down, what they're wanting is permission from the pastor to not do what the Bible says to do. My friends, listen. You don't want a pastor who will do that for you. Because, listen, this is God's word. Everybody understand that? This is God's word. Right? And if I tell you to do something, if you're going to obey Steve's word over God's word, then deep down, who is your God? Me. If I can give you permission to not do, and this is what I'm saying in our country today, there are literally thousands of pastors who will explain away what the Bible clearly teaches about marriage and church serving and giving and family relationships. I mean, the list goes on and on where pastors will say, well, God didn't really mean what he said there. And let me tell you what, all those pastors are doing are creating a congregation that worships that pastor and not the Lord God Almighty. It's not separating God out and making him holy. He's saying, we will, the pastor's saying, I'll give you the spiritual sustenance you need and not God's word. And the moment that happens, my friends, is that pastor then becomes your God. And I'm not taking that mantle. I don't want it. And every church around this country that calls itself a church that has a cross on the top of it, if they're not doing what God's word says, then I pray again that God shuts them down. Because whenever the Bible says to do something, it's our job to do exactly what God tells us to do. If God says something in his word, then we have to do it exactly the way he says If God says it, let me say it this way. If God tells us to jump, the only two words that come out of our mouth are what? How high? We cannot be one of these churches who say, yeah, but so-and-so says this person can preach, or so-and-so says these are the qualifications, or so-and-so. We can't do it. You've got to do it exactly the way the Bible says to do it. But that's not the only thing that Moses did wrong. He doubled down on his sin. Now, here's the thing. Watch. He struck the rock once, and when he strikes it once, 
we know he wouldn't have struck it again if what? If water would have come out. If water comes out, he doesn't strike it again, right? So he strikes it. Water doesn't come out. And in his anger, what does he do? He doubles down on his sin and strikes it again. And listen, God still gives the, God still gives the people water. But here's what I want to share with you. Listen, a lot of times, man, I see people do this all the time. They make one bad decision. Like, I shouldn't have married this person. Now I'm going to fix it by doing something else that's wrong. I shouldn't have taken this job. Now I'm going to fix it by doing something else that is wrong. That is doubling down on sin. You're betting on the sin, the first sin twice. You're just multiplying it. And this is what Moses should have done. And listen, God didn't get after Moses and Aaron until he struck it twice. What if, my friends, listen, what if Moses strikes it once and then he says, man, I was supposed to speak to that rock. <sighs> Everyone forgive me. There's a reason the water didn't come out. It's because I was, God told me to speak to it. I'm going to humble myself. God, please let water come forth. <sighs> there it would have come. And Moses would have taken his people into the promised land. So would have Aaron. But what he did, God being the merciful God he is, he gave Moses a second chance by not sending that water out the first time he struck it. But once he doubled down on his sin, then God had to make a move. And this was sin number five. And a lot of times you read right over this and you wouldn't even catch it. This was his fifth and I think his greatest sin is that he led his brother Aaron down the wrong path. Now Moses is the little brother, right? He shouldn't have had to be in charge. Now this is really important what I'm about to share with you next. It's going to apply to a lot of people in this room. Watch this, watch what God says. Let Aaron be gathered to his people. That means he's going to die. For Aaron shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel. Because you, he's speaking to Moses when he says this, because Moses rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Now I want you to think for a moment. Watch this. Watch, watch, watch. What had Aaron done early on in the relationship? As soon as Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments up on Mount Sinai, what did Aaron do? He built the golden calf. He took all the people's gold, melted it down, built a golden calf. Everybody's committing idolatry. Moses comes down the mountain, breaks the Ten Commandments. He's matter and fire. Aaron, what have you done? He said, how come this calf? I don't even know how it happens. At that point, God does not say to Aaron, you can't go into the promised land. I mean, that, that was a big deal, making that golden calf. Later, Aaron joins up with Miriam and says, we want to co-pastor with you. Moses, we want to be on equal footing with you. God doesn't see Miriam and, and Aaron sin and say, no promised land for you. What was the sin that put them over the edge? He followed Moses when he struck the rock twice. It wasn't even necessarily something. Watch, 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 watch. Don't miss this. It wasn't even something that Aaron actually did he just sat back and allowed Moses to do the wrong thing this is why I'm sharing this with you listen Aaron should have been the spiritual leader he was the oldest man in the family 
Miriam should have always been the one as the older spiritual sister showing Moses what to do. But this is the fact for a lot of you in this room. Some of you, you are the most spiritual one in your family, even among your parents. Your mom and dad should be giving you spiritual advice, but you're the one that has to show your mom and dad what's in the Bible. You're the mature one in Christ. For whatever reason, God has drawn you and your relationship. Maybe you're married to a man that just spiritually isn't seeking after God. And even though the man is supposed to be the high priest of the family, mama has to play that role. God's called her to that because hubby's just not pulling his spiritual weight. You might be the younger brother in the family. You've got older siblings. But when stuff hits the fan, they're calling little brother or little sister, asking for biblical advice when they've messed their life up. This is the reality. Listen, God loves every one of us, but there are a lot of you in this room, when it comes to your family or your workplace, when people need spiritual advice, they come to you, not people who are above you, because they know you will give them the right biblical answer. They look to you for spiritual leadership. And that's the relationship that Aaron had with Moses. Even though Moses was the little brother, <coughs> Aaron came to him. And what do we learn from this? This is what I want you to understand. When Moses made a mistake, it had ramifications for a lot of other people that were under his spiritual leadership. And this is where we have to watch out as mommies and daddies. We can make a mistake, and our kids pay the price. We can make a mistake, and our husband pays the price, or our parents. Why? It's just a fact. I see it all the time. I don't know how to define it, but it's just a fact. Listen to what I'm saying to you as a pastor. For whatever reason, God usually picks out one or two people in a family, and they are the spiritual rock on which everyone else leans. And some of you are those people. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is, listen, when you've got outside pressures working on you, the other people in the family, they can make their little mistakes. But if you slip up and fall, it's going to cause a whole lot more problems than when the other ones do. And you might be like Moses, you might, like, might be like me and say, man, God, I never asked for that role. Listen, you don't ask for it. God gave it to you when he drew you to his side. He picked you out for that. I'm not talking about saying you're saved and they're not. What I'm saying is, man, I'm just telling you, sometimes God's hand, usually in one family, you've got at least one person, God's hand is on them and they just lead. And no matter what's going on in your life, you need people around you who will tell you, hey, we need you to be strong. We need you to be Jesus for us. And is that fair to you? The answer is what? No. That's just the way it is. Now, I want to show you how Paul ties in this story, referring to the exact story that we're talking about today. He says, I don't want you, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all went through the sea, 
And they were all baptized into Moses, that means under the authority of, in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate from the same spiritual food. It was literal food, but it was provided for them supernaturally. And they all drank from the same spiritual or supernatural drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. What's he explaining here? This is his point is that Christ, while they were in the desert, they got physical blessings, but Jesus was the one who was always with them and providing for them. Never forget that. No matter what physical blessings that you may receive, Jesus is always the one with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above. Don't ever miss that, okay? But nevertheless, Paul says in the next verse, with most of them, God was not pleased For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, why did God allow this to happen? Where he says in verse 11, these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Now that we're in the end time, this is what he's saying. What happened to them was so that we could learn. Now, Benjamin Franklin uh, says this this, uh, quote, it's attributed to him. He says, experience is a wise teacher, my, my son, but only the fool will learn from no other. In other words, we ought to be smart enough to learn from other people's example. My grandpa said it to me this way. You don't learn anything new from the second kick of a mule. Okay? Think on that. It's like don't walk behind the horse. All right? If you raise on farms, you know what I meant by that. Okay? is learn from your past. And so here's what he's saying here. Watch. Don't miss this. Therefore, knowing what happened with Moses here, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What? Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed. Pay attention to what happened to Moses here lest you fall. In other words, you may have lived 38 years without calling people names, without blowing your lid, without telling people off, but this is what he's saying. If you're in the wrong situation with the wrong person in the wrong circumstance at the wrong time, guess what? You'll probably fall too. If Moses couldn't handle all that pressure, you probably won't either. I see this all the time. I've seen it in church. I've seen it with other pastor friends. I'll see guys that are about my age, younger, older, being in a building alone with a woman around their same age, counseling one-on-one, time after time after time again, someone that's going through marital issues. And I'll say, man, it's, it's a bad idea. Oh, Steve, I would never do that. Wrong day, wrong time, wrong place. Listen, let me tell you about this. Listen, listen, listen. Let me say this about every sin in the Bible. There's not a person in here, myself included, that if you put me in the wrong situation at the wrong time, wrong place, wrong circumstances, I'll probably fail. Same goes for you too. Don't put yourself in a position to fail. How do you do that? Is when those, red, when those extraneous circumstances, those outside forces are pushing in on you, 
That's where you need somebody in your, in your life, like my wife, who would say, Steve, you're just a little bit on edge today. Someone would say to you, love you enough to say, I don't think that's the best environment for you to be in. Steve, why are you going about it this way? Do you really think this is a wise thing for you to do? Who will love you enough to say, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Secondly, Paul says this. Remember that no temptation, that means none, zero. There's not a temptation in this world that has overtaken you that is not common to man. What's he saying? No matter what you're going through right now, somebody's been through it before. There's nothing new under the sun. And just about all situations where there's about to be a, where there's an attempted suicide, someone believes that the situation they're in, no one's ever been through anything like that before. People get upset about Christmas presents or they're, they're getting sick or they've lost a job, they've just been left by their spouse, and you feel so alone, like the whole world's coming down on you, to which Jesus would say, not in an insensitive manner, but in a way to encourage you, listen, whatever you're going through right now, what? Somebody's been through it before you. And they made it, which means what? You can too. So don't give up. Why? Because God is faithful. Even when we're faithless, even when we want to give up, God is faithful and he will not, doesn't say he might not, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You can do it. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're being tested by right now, and you're saying, I can't do this anymore. I got to get off the merry-go-round. God tells you, you can go around it a few more times. Why? Not because you're strong, but because I'm faithful. You can do it. And how are you going to deal with it? Here's why or how. God will provide a way of escape. And until he provides that way, what does he say? You can endure it. And so some of you are on that merry-go-round right now. Maybe marriage, work, family relationship, school. You're on that merry-go-round. You're going around and around, and you feel like you're about ready to puke. You can't do this anymore. And what he's saying to you is, you can endure it. And in my time, I'll give you a way of escape. But until then, I'll be faithful to you if you just trust me through this trial. Yeah, but God, you don't understand. Steve, you don't understand. Well, here's the thing. I probably don't. I've never been through a divorce. I've never lost a child. Haven't had any major diseases. Never been fired without a paycheck or money in the bank. These things haven't happened to me. It's not about me. It is about Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forget this. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a Pastor Steve who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we do have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, has been tried as we are, yet he did it without sin. Who's that? That's Jesus. There is nothing, my friends, there is nothing that you are going through where Jesus 
If you come to him and say, Jesus, I'm going through this, nothing you've gone through that he's going to say, hey, you know what, I've never been through that. I don't understand. He's lost parents. He's been bullied. He's been fired. Prejudice against him. He's lived poor. Struck down but not destroyed. He's been pressed but not crushed. He's been persecuted but not abandoned. And because we have such a great Savior, let us then with confidence, whatever trial you're going through, this is what I want to give you today going into the new year, whatever merry-go-round you're dealing with, with confidence, stick out your chest, with boldness, draw near to God. Draw near to the throne of grace. That's what will give you strength. What is grace? It is giving you something that you don't deserve. And when you get there, you're going to receive mercy. What is mercy? It means you won't get what you do deserve because of what you've done wrong. And when you get there, you're going to find grace, and Jesus is going to help you in your time of need. So recognize when those outside forces are just pressing in, what do we do? We fall on our face. We, with confidence, we draw near to Jesus. And we believe no matter what we're going through, some other parent has gone through this before. Some other family has gone through this before. Some other business has gone through this before. Some other church has gone through this before. But my God is faithful. And he will bring us through this. And until we get off this merry-go-round, you can endure. You can endure.